You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that ever ends. Your daily delivery of all things Dog Pound, LGB on the LOB. Locked On Browns brought to you by the Locked On Podcast Network, available on all platforms where you listen to your podcasts. And of course, always free. Make sure you subscribe to Lockdown Browns, leaving those five-star ratings and written reviews. We're going to get to it a bunch here today. Good buddy Stephen Thomas from the OBR in the house for your Wednesday episode. Remember, we started going six episodes per week last year just due to the fact trying to do pregame shows on Thursdays with COVID, which is obviously still a huge problem within the NFL. Uh, so we switched those to Friday, which means you guys get an extra episode per week. But we just want to do the best information, give you guys the most accurate information uh, day in, day out that we can. If you're looking for a Sunday pregame show that talks about every game and every team in depth, well, check out the Lockdown NFL Sunday show live every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern. No sketches, no celebrity cameos, no fluff, just football every Sunday morning with hosts Cody Roark and Ross Jackson. Follow and subscribe to Locked On Live on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And don't forget, turn on notifications to be notified when the show goes live every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern. Steve and Thomas from the OBR. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit uh, Chiefs here. We're going to start, you know, peeking ahead for our first glance of what will be Sunday's opener at First Energy Stadium for the Houston Texans. A uh, couple of weeks in to college football, so we're going to get some thoughts here from Stephen Thomas on that. Steve, um, it's the funniest thing, and it still cracks me up, as up in arms as everybody got Sunday about the fact that it did not work out and the Browns ended up losing the tight one to Kansas City. I still can't find anybody who said the Browns are going to beat Kansas City handily. So I don't understand how everybody got so up in arms about the fact <laughs> that they lost the game that most everybody didn't think they were going to win anyway. Well, and more than anything, as you know, you, you and I said repeatedly, I know you said it with other guests on your pod. We said it both in print and on the Twitch show and on every podcast that we have over at the OBR, just a tsunami of times. It's, it apparently didn't sink in that <laughs> pay more attention to the process than the, the end result. Uh, I mean, would we have preferred that they, of course, we would have preferred that they won. Should they have won? Absolutely. 100%. I have said so many times since Sunday, that game was lost more than it was won. And that's with yeah. all due credit to the Chiefs. But I mean, it, we, we said this the, the night the schedule came out back in April or whatever it was, you know, outside of maybe going to Tampa, there wasn't a, a, a tougher draw they could have gotten for week one right out of the shoot with all these new pieces on defense, <clears throat> excuse me, and everything else with the expectations and all that kind of stuff. So the fact, I mean, we, we're going to get into, you know, a little more specifics here. I know we are, but just in a general sense, the fact that basically had they not put the ball on the ground two consecutive times in the fourth quarter, the chiefs would in no way would have won that game should tell everybody that, this team, all the expectations that we had all the offseason, all the things we thought they could be are absolutely legitimate. They controlled that football game for three and a half quarters. I mean, 
the Nick Chubb fumble, which, you know, I've seen not very many, which is encouraging, but a few people out there saying, oh, if Chubb put, doesn't put, it's Chubb's fault that we lost. Are, are you kidding me? Come on. The guy's fumbled <laughs> four times in his entire career. Get, get out of here with that crap. But on that drive, if we remember, they were up 29 to 20. There was uh, 10 and a half, maybe 11 minutes left, give or take, at that moment. And they were cramming it down the Chiefs' throat. The, the Chiefs had no idea what to do on defense. The previous drive had ended in a touchdown. He had run the ball three straight times for, what, 35 yards before he put the ball on the ground. They were going to jam it in again, which means if you step back and look at it, they were about to go up 16 in the fourth quarter with you know, nine minutes left at Arrowhead. And then a fluke fumble from a guy that never puts the ball on the ground, an incomprehensible uh, dropped snap, which is, uh, you know, I mean, you got to play the game and, and this is not to take anything away from the Chiefs, but just wacky stuff happened like that. And then they still, I, I, I mean, I'm totally convinced had he not stepped on Sorensen and, and got his arm uh, angle uh, knocked in that on when he was trying to throw the ball away, I'm convinced they would have jammed the ball in the end zone and won that game. So the fact that the Chiefs, arguably the best team in the entire NFL, I think without question, the best team in the AFC right now, had to get help from the Cleveland Browns to win in their own yard is way more important than the fact that they lost by four on the road. Um, I, I just, I don't understand people that are upset about that. And luckily, like we said, most people have taken it for what it is. Yeah. It sucks that they lost. It's frustrating that they lost. Uh, it's frustrating the way they lost, but it's 17 game season. The, keep in mind the goal of the 2021 Cleveland Browns is not to beat the Chiefs in Week One. The goal of the 2021 Cleveland Browns is to win the Super Bowl, and I think yesterday or uh, Sunday's game proved that they, without question, have the talent, scheme, and all the pieces they need to do that. And the other thing is, look, and we'll go to the just you know, talking here on the defensive side of the ball. You barely, you know, it was kind of like the first day of school. Like everybody kind of almost had like name tags on. Hey, nice to meet right. you. I've seen you around practice. Never been in a huddle with you. Never taken a live rep with you. Let's see what we got. Um, point out a couple of guys, you know, offense, defense, wherever, Steve. You know, some guys who caught your eyes. Um, I, I know for uh, all of us, I mean, the amount Anthony Schwartz got an opportunity early in the game, I don't think any of us really for it, you saw it coming. And not because, you know, I mean, he was a top 100 pick. That makes sense. But basically because of the fact that, we didn't really see or hear of him this summer because he was over there doing the uh, tour de Berea with everybody else on the bikes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we knew he'd have a role this year. When you have that kind of speed, you figure out a way to use it to your advantage. But I think you and I both thought, and I, I, we were far from alone, that it would be far smaller and more specific like it would be a set grouping of plays you don't want to say a you know a package or anything like that that's more for quarterbacks and things like that but you know it, nine routes um jet sweeps and maybe you know some design screens or or you know that kind of stuff just to let him get his feet wet in the nfl i thought the biggest thing for me was obviously there's still lots of stuff to work on his footwork off the line inconsistent he turned the wrong way on that one ball right before the half he's a rookie you know but overall I thought his grasp of the entirety of the wide receiver position was was pretty farther much farther along than than I anticipated um, part of that of course much like DPJ last year his college tape was just littered with a guy who couldn't get him the ball so he, we couldn't really make a lot of uh, you know 
um, decisions based on his tape. We, we thought we knew what he, what he could do, but it was hard to tell because you just couldn't see it. So I think the fact that he learned how to get open on different kinds of routes and everything uh, and, and showed the ability uh, to go across the middle and, and you know, all the, all the things that he showed, I thought it was uh, super impressive. And I, I've had people, I'm sure you have too, say, well, he was only in there because Odell was out. And as soon as Odell comes back, he's back to the bench. I, I don't think so. I, I If that was their plan initially, and I from the usage he got yesterday or Sunday, I don't think it was. But it, even if it was, I think what he put on tape, especially if he does it again next week and the week after, will make them change that plan. Because the thought of a fully healthy Odell on one side and that much speed on the other side, and what it means for... Jarvis and Njoku and Hooper and the backs out of the backfield and Hollywood Higgins, if he sees the field and all those guys in those short middle and intermediate ranges over the middle of the field, what that kind of speed on both sides can mean is startling because, you know, Baker showed once again, he can put it in a keyhole if he has to, but I'd rather not make him have to as much as we have, you know, <laughs> in Odell's in Odell's absence. I think if it, if he could get some throws that were as wide open as what Mahomes had on Sunday, that would I'm sure he would appreciate that. So, yeah, he was one of the guys that uh, uh, that really impressed me um, uh, on defense. I think there were several guys. Uh, you could go to Malik McDowell. I thought Malik Jackson showed why he was one of the most underrated uh, free mm-hmm. agent signings of the offseason. Uh, John Johnson, three, uh, even with that fluky bomb that he gave up for the touchdown, that was just a uh, that's just one of those plays you throw your hands up. There's not a lot you can do. I thought he showed his worth. I thought Troy Hill showed his worth. But the, the biggest guy on defense for me uh, was first round pick Greg Newsom. And here's why. We never heard his freaking name uh, against an offense like the Chiefs. I thought and I'm sure you did, too that that would be the first target. They would go mm-hmm. after the rookie until he proved that they shouldn't. And they never did. I mean, uh, you know, apparently, fif- and 15 is, I mean, they gave the guy a half a billion dollar contract. It's not like he doesn't see the field, okay? He's pretty He's pretty <laughs> good at the at the position of quarterback, that guy over there. Um, he, he just, I think one target, I think it was one target to, towards Greg Newsom, which shows, boy, was that a good pick. Holy mackerel. If he can lock it down on that side and Denzel on the other side, the next 16 opponents are not the Kansas City Chiefs, and the next 16 quarterbacks are not Patrick Mahomes. So the defensive uh, box score stats, which don't tell the whole story, but are what most people see, will improve tremendously. So I thought he was the, uh, the most impressive guy on defense. But if I can just ramble for one more minute here, I thought the guy on the Browns roster who impacted the outcome of the game the most was number 33, uh, Ronnie Harrison getting tossed early. I have to believe it drastically changed their defensive Mm -hmm. game plan. I cannot believe they went into this game thinking, and this is all due respect to these guys, that Anthony Walker and Mac Wilson were going to cover Patrick Kelsey as much as they did. I I just can't believe that that's what they planned. I think that was going to be Ronnie Harrison or Ronnie Harrison with another guy a lot. And the fact that he went down and Delpit was inactive, we were back to the almost the same situation we were in at the end of last year where, you know, it would have been Andrew Sandejo at that point, but it was Richard LeCount this time who came in and from all I saw did okay in his role, but it, it was a huge loss. And now, you know, you got to play with the guys that are there and all and win and loses a team. All that stuff is totally true. But I think if Ronnie Harrison doesn't get tossed, I, I think that four points swings the other way. I really believe that in my heart. Yeah, and you definitely, I mean, just the emotion of it and the letdown of it. I mean, and now you're talking all of a sudden, here's MJ Stewart. 
and it just seems like another player we're mentioning on that we didn't see all summer. Um, right. And MJ Stewart, and all of a sudden, hey, kid, 60 reps, it's all you. And Against the Chiefs. Held, yes, exactly. <laughs> held together pretty well for the most part, Not MJ bad. Stewart, but obviously, you know, the, in the grand scheme of things, um, MJ Stewart is, you know, not at the top of the food chain, so to speak. But I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. Um, enough with having to ask Baker to get the 7-10 split. Can we get some wide open guys? It seems like other teams can do this pretty easily. So let's try to make Six's life a tad bit easier. We're going to open up the lens here, peek forward a little bit. Houston, Texas coming down Sunday. Jeff Lloyd joined by the OBRs, Stephen Thomas. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, the NFL, NCAA football, and of course, all your UFC and MMA action. For the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore, as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to October. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Now, Steve, if you had asked anybody, it would have been hard to say maybe who you thought the Super Bowl champion was going to be at the end of the season. But if you asked everybody, almost everybody would have told you who's going to be drafting number one overall in the spring of 2022. <laughs> and that will be your currently 1-0 and Houston Texans and old friend Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, all props to them, uh, as we often say, and we had to say a lot last year when people threw that, oh, the Browns haven't played anybody stuff at us. You can only play the teams on your schedule. So, yes, it was the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I think would have been the other team in that discussion. I think, I think mm -hmm. you're right. If you said, who, give me your top two teams, the Texans and the Jags would have been in that conversation heavily for everybody. So, uh, you know, a, a rookie quarterback, uh, their roster is is what it is. The whole Urban Meyer situation, it's not like they were going up against, you know, the 85 Bears or anything like that. But they won the game and they won it rather handily, which was impressive. I mean, just looking at some of the box score stats, uh, uh, Tarad, 289 yards passing, a couple of touchdowns. They ran the ball for 160 yards. Um, I, I can't imagine they're going to do that again uh, this year. Brandon Cooks had a great game. Uh, the defense really played well until they, you know, went into the prevent, <coughs> excuse me, with the 20 plus point lead in the second half. So, you know, as we always say, uh, any given Sunday in the NFL, I mean, the difference between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league is, you know, six or eight plays. It's really not as, as drastic as most people kind of make it out to see. You better show up with your big boy pants on Sunday. That being said, I, the Browns are 11 and a half point favorites for a reason. Okay. I, honestly, I, I'm over 50 years old. I can't remember the last time they were double digit favorites. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's gotta be the Bernie years. I mean, I can't imagine they were double digit favorites at any point since the return. Um, and yes, Tarod Taylor, we all like the guy super person uh, has been putting some just bad situations throughout his career as far as who he's in front of and, and, you know, the roster that he's given and all that kind of stuff and has you know, kept his mouth shut, done his job, uh, was a good guy here. I don't think anybody has any bad feelings about Terod Taylor. And he's certainly no slouch. He's definitely mobile. Uh, he can put the ball in the spots where you, if you give him somebody that's open, he'll get, he'll deliver the ball, but I don't think anybody's going to confuse him with Patrick Mahomes. So, I, you look at what the Browns pass rush did last week, and I had people, and I'm sure you've had too, since Sunday. Oh, where was the pass rush? They disappeared. 
they were in Mahomes' face, pressured on 44% of his dropbacks, which is fifth best in the league. They were in his face and forcing him off his spot almost every single time. But like we said before, he's Patrick Mahomes and you're not. I mean, <laughs> under pressure, he's still better than three quarters of the league. I mean, there's half a billion dollars, guys. I can't say it enough. <laughs> he earned it. And as good as I think Tyrod can be at his best, he's nowhere near in that league. So if they have that kind of production from their pass rush, I, I just can't see Tyrod having near the same kind of kind of game that he had against Jacksonville. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. I don't know. You never know in the NFL. But I would be very, very surprised if they come in. I just And as far as their defense goes, um, I mean, they are who they are. They've got some pieces here and there like Justin Reed. I like Charles Amenahue. Uh, there's a few other guys in their defense that I like. But – after what the Browns put on paper, basically a machine for 90% of the game against the Chiefs last week, I, 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 if they show up and they play their games and it's not 40 degrees raining with 60-mile-an-hour winds like last year, I, I really think this is a I, – I, I, I won't say Sharpie, but I'm pretty close to saying Sharpie at this point. And it's weird to say, you know, like, uh, you know, in regards to the Cleveland Browns and not being on the wrong end of it, this should be a laugher, um, but it should go that way. But this is also where I want to get to for this game. And if they had pulled this off, you know, on Sunday, then all of a sudden is where maybe this game would have maybe gotten a little more murky, you know, because, hey, sometimes you get, hey, you rest on your laurels. We beat the Chiefs right. in Arrowhead. Trap you know, game. maybe a C, or not even that, a C-plus effort's good enough to beat the lowly Houston Texans. But the way this organization is run, the direction – the fact that everybody's on the same page from top to bottom. This, for me, just reeks of this is bad news for Houston because right now the Browns have a bad taste in their mouth. You know, yes, they know, you know, that it was there for the taking and they lost a game they should have won. It is just that simple. You can say that about Sunday. And now what do you do? You get really, really fired up to get out there next mm -hmm. time. And for Houston, you know, enjoy the one, but, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. But right now in the home opener, First Energy Stadium going to be packed to the gills. Really, really bad spot for the Houston Texans to be walking into right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've got a, an armada of former Browns down there, too. So, you know, mm -hmm. some of those guys will know, hey, it's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. Uh, don't get too close to the dog pound because they will literally throw beer on you. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. They'll be warning all of their teammates of the perils of Browns fans. Um, and, you know, again, it's week two. Uh, but it's the first home game, so it's the first live crowd since 2019. You know, it's still a COVID world, so it's going to be raucous. It's going to be – the atmosphere, especially at kickoff, is going to be utterly ridiculous. And uh, you, you look at the team, and like you said, you don't want ever want to take anybody lightly in the NFL. You, you, it should be a laugher, but you better show up and make it a laugher. You, you can't throw your helmet on the field and win. That's just the way it is. However, uh, this game and the next game, the next two, really the next three, if what we saw from the Vikings on Sunday is the true Vikings, the next three should be, you know, if they don't hand it away, they're going to be three and one, um, which also allows them for Jedrick Wills and Odell and Grant Delpit and all these guys. Yeah, you want them back. Of course you do. But if there's a couple games to miss with the uh, nagging stuff and get healthy, this would be the stretch of the year to do that. You would think, anyway, on paper. Um, so, yeah, I, 
I, I had some people say that too, uh, you know, oh, wouldn't it be better to maybe lose? And then, you know, it, it motivates them and pissed them off. Well, first of all, it's never better to lose, I don't think. Second of all, I, I don't think this team needs that kind of external motivation. I mean, I get that. I understand the thought process. But everything we've seen from this locker room, from this group of players, and the coaching staff and the, and the front office as well, the entire organization is they motivate internally. They get fired up. Uh, regardless of who the opponent is, regardless of, you know, quote unquote, bulletin board material or, you know, any of that stuff. Those are external motivators. And if you can use those to reach even yet another level, that's great. Sure. Go for it. Whatever. But this team doesn't seem to need that. This team bought into one and oh this week last year, the, the mantra that Kevin Stefanski preached. And it carried into the offseason. We saw with their work ethic and it carried into last week, which you could see on the field. They're up nine on the two-time defending AFC champions, and they're not jumping around on the sideline. They're not, oh, my God, look at what – it was business as usual for this team. They expected to win that game, and I think they're going to approach this game with the same thing. So, I, I mean, it, yeah, okay. If you give me – it's a one or the other choice. Would you rather beat the Chiefs in September or in January? Of course I'm going to say I'd rather beat them in January. But I don't think it was an either-or situation. I think they could have pulled off both. So will it motivate them? I don't know, maybe. But I don't think they need that. But uh, to your point especially, and to uh, wrap up my usual rambling response to a very brief question that you gave me, um, yeah, I'd be – I'd be a little nervous if I was the Houston Texans coming in, uh, uh, coming into First Energy Stadium this week. I'd, I, I would be hoping for some Cleveland weather if I was them, because then maybe you have a chance. Because otherwise, looking at it on paper, you, you're going to get taken out behind the woodshed and whooped with a stick at this point. And I can only imagine Tyrod right now going through, you know, a little early Browns film and ahead of the week going, wait a minute, they got Garrett. They got Clowney, who's like Garrett, uh-huh. Malik McDowell, you know, who's almost like Kaiser Sose, you know, then all of a sudden we're actually getting to see, <laughs> holy hell, man, I'm getting older. Wait a minute. Miles is now running with these dudes. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, that, uh, this isn't good. This isn't good. But, you know, either way, look, you do have to play the games. But, you know, if there was any question of whether or not, you know, there would be any dimmed focus, I, I have zero questions about that now. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I can only imagine that this team is just chomping at the bit to get back in the building. Um, and getting this to one and one, and especially knowing, you know, even and there is a possibility. Look, I've just got a favor from the Raiders last evening. Now Baltimore has to go play Kansas City, and Baltimore's always had their issues with the Chiefs. And mm-hmm. looking at their defense, I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do against Kansas City. So we'll see the way it all plays out. Of course, there is the old adage of any given Sunday. Mm-hmm. With Steve here, we've got a couple weeks of college football in the books. We'll get a little talk here, you know, some prospects, what Steve's been seeing to this point. As we continue on here on your Wednesday, Lock on Browns. Today, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all the entertainment you love without the hassle. Direct TV Stream brings you your live TV in on demand favorites together like never before, which means you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So stop waiting and put your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That is directtv.com. What is your favorite Bill Bar flavor? Did you know that Bill Bar has nine delicious flavors plus the occasional 
occasional limited time flavor. When you talk to a Bill Bar fan, they are certainly passionate about their favorites. If you don't know the Bill Bar lineup by now, well, you are missing out. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. So there is something for everyone. The mint brownie is still the favorite in the Lloyd household. Tastes like the Girl Scout cookie. Just too perfect. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you should get a mix box. You will get 10 of the nine flavors, 18 bars in total. Not only are the Bilt Bar flavors the best tasting, but they are healthy too. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams net carbs. Go to BiltBar.com right now. Use promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D, all caps, 15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That is LOCKED, 15, at BiltBar.com. <clears throat> well, Steve, draft season never ends. Um, and obviously, for you, for myself, it is certainly not the intense scrutiny in September that has been in the years, in years past. Um, like right now, if you had to say, where would be the Browns focus of a first round pick? Got no damn idea right now, to be honest with you, but makes it all the more the enjoyable because you can go into these games, not looking to specifically watch one player going as it comes. Um, some thoughts here, Steve, as we're what three to four weeks in on the first month of college football. Yeah. uh, It's nice to not already be looking at the top 10 and the top three quarterbacks. And honey, I need to schedule my weekend around defensive tackles in the NCAA football. (laughs) It's so nice to have this because, uh, well, let me first just say, I have my first weekly mock draft. I do it every every Wednesday during the regular season on the OBR that comes out tomorrow. And uh, you're going to hate it. uh, If you're listening, everybody's going to hate it. Not because of anybody I picked or didn't pick just because, that's what happens. <laughs> go ahead. And it's never going to happen. Mock draft. And whatever, you're never going to get that guy no. in that position, as we all know. You're too high and too low on every single one of your picks, and uh, they'd never pick that guy anyway. Do you even watch football? If Go ahead. Do, do one if you're listening. Uh, screenshot your results and tweet it. And if you don't get at least one person calling you stupid, you're doing it wrong. That's just, that's just what happens. But I think at this point, you're absolutely right. You could make a case. As much as they did go out and try to improve the pass rush, uh, the edge rush, room um and they did i think tremendously beyond this year i mean Clowney's on a one-year deal tax on a one-year deal we, we don't know you know behind miles the question still exists so you can make a case for edge you can make a case for interior defensive line you can make a case for wide receiver you can make a case for interior offensive line uh you could also on day two uh you could make a case for tight end depending on how certain things go with contracts linebacker cornerback is always in the discussion you can never have too many corners even safety if ronnie leaves and and grant doesn't come back completely healthy gotta look at safety again i mean there's so many possibilities at this point uh but i think if you forced people to pick right now probably most people would say be as edge rusher that's what they would say so that's what we'll, we'll focus on uh today and i know aiden hutchinson is getting most of the press uh he's the big 10 edge rusher getting most of the, and deservedly so i mean the dude is a beast uh he's Inside, outside, big, strong, fast, understands hand usage, speed to power. I mean, you name it, that guy has it. So, yes, Aiden Hutchinson is definitely on the radar. But I want to talk just a little bit uh, about a guy I know you're familiar with, another Big Ten edge rusher, and no, not Zach Harrison. I'm talking about Big George, George Karlaftis over at Purdue, listed at 6'4", 275, well within the age guard rail for anyone that uh, has followed that. Um, the dude, much like Hutchinson, uh, but slightly different styles, 
can do it all. I mean, seven and a half sacks, 17 tackles for a loss in 2019, which is, you know, last year, obviously, you kind of throw everything out. They only played three games. Uh, but he can go outside. He can go inside. He can go through you. Uh, heavy hands uh, has a, a wide array of pass rush moves for a guy that's only played one full season of college football. He's got a swim move that's fantastic. And another guy, you hear this about guys every year, but it's absolutely true in his case, just a nonstop motor. I mean, this guy chases down plays from everywhere. I mean, he's, we remember that get play in the, uh, in the playoff game against the Chiefs last year where Miles chased and made the tackle like 35 yards downfield. He's got plays like that in his film. I mean, the guy just never stops. So um, he's a guy that I think should be on your radar uh, for day one and day two picks, your top 100 picks. That's one guy that uh, has caught my eye uh, right there. I, I'm curious because we haven't had a chance to talk about it. Before I move on to my next guy, have you watched any of Big George and what do you think about him? I, the first thing that stands out is you know, at the size, the Browns are liking these bigger defensive ends. Tax McKinley doesn't really fit exactly what they want, but they mm-hmm. like these bigger defensive ends. Part of the reason why Joe Jackson is here. And you always like a guy where you know there's more to come. And you see basically he just gets by right now athletically. More technique certainly is going to come this young man's way. Right. And you now look at what the state of the Cleveland Browns is where you don't mind saying, that's fine. There's some work that needs to be done. We've got the folks in the building who can take care of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it seems – superfluous to say that uh you know, oh well he needs to refine the technical aspects of his game and get a little stronger because i mean that's everybody that's 99.9 percent of guys coming out of college they're just kids and they're going into as the saying goes a grown-ass man league so yeah they all and it's only going to get worse with these kids leaving high school early exactly so they all need to get stronger they all have things they need to work on I love it when people say that. Oh, well, don't you think he needed he needs to do this better? Or I want well, of course he's got nobody's perfect. He's of course he's got things to work on. He's a prospect. Okay. That's the whole thing. Um, but uh, you know, you look at certain tools, you look at certain athletic uh, metrics, uh, production metrics, uh, testing, it all matters, okay? It all matters. And he's got, from what we can see so far. Every, he's a huge ball of clay that NFL coaches would love to play with. I'm sure um, wide receiver has been high on everyone's list uh, since last off season, because um, we listen, uh, whether people want to talk about it or admit it or not, there's two massive contracts in that uh, wide receiver room. And at least one of them will not be here. Maybe both of them next year. We don't know yet either way. Uh, at least not on their current number. Always the chance they could restructure both of them, but it seems unlikely at this point. So keep top 100 wide receivers on your radar. And a guy, yes, everybody knows John Mechie at Alabama. They know the two Ohio State guys. They know George Pickens and all those guys. Of course they do, and they should. Even David Bell at Purdue uh, you know, is getting mm-hmm. I'm starting to get, I think anyway, the proper amount of press because that dude can flat out play. But I want to talk about another guy. Uh, and I'm not sure why he's under the radar. And that's Dante Demas Jr. at Maryland. Um, and maybe that's why. Maybe it's because he plays at Maryland and they're they're not exactly known for churning out prospects. Maybe that's why he's not all on the radars right now. Because otherwise, dude that's just under 6'3", just under 220, and supposedly runs in the 4'4s, has a 37-inch vertical leap, has led the team in receiving, and has caught, I think it's 11 games in a row now, he's caught a touchdown pass. I, I can't remember the exact, I saw the stat couple of days ago but the the dude can do everything i mean he's not 
Anthony Schwartz fast. Let's make that clear. Few people on this planet are, but he's plenty fast enough. And if you're looking for a, a prototypical traditional X outside guy, this guy has the physical tools. He can get deep. He's quick in and out of his cuts. He's got tremendous hands and a huge catch radius, more wiggle after the catch than you would think from a guy his size. And just because he's big and fast doesn't mean he's one of those guys that only done, does nine routes. This guy has zero fear going over the middle because, like I said, he's almost 6'3", 220. The way the NFL linebacking cores are, are trending these days in the more pass-happy league, he's, he's, he's almost as big as those dudes. So he's not afraid of hitting them. He'll knock them in the mouth and then keep running. So there's a lot of things that, uh, that, that uh, he has that, again, much like we said about Carl Aftis, that an NFL coach is going to go, wow, yeah, I can work with that. Um, he can do everything that you want to do, like most guys. He needs to uh, improve his route tree. He needs to improve his uh, his releases off the line. He's not bad at them, but he just needs to get more of them and get more consistent with them. And he can get a little lazy at the top of his routes sometimes. Not all the times, but sometimes he can get a little lazy at the top of his routes. But other than that, Dante Dimas Jr. is a guy I'd be – especially if he's on that mid to late day two range where he currently is is ranked on a lot of these boards, if he stays in that range – Man, I'd be tickled to put him in a back and in a wide receiver room with uh, with DPJ and Anthony Schwartz, and maybe they keep Odell around. Boy, that's a deadly uh, uh, quartet right there. Yeah, and it's actually it's interesting the way we're just literally talking away this Browns wide receiver room, where it's a question of you know do we maybe not have room for players of the ilk of Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry at their salary? Um, again, you know we 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 joke and we say the you know the term rich people problems. Um, but it's a number one math is going to get involved. Money is going to get involved somewhere along the line here. And it certainly doesn't help, help that, you know, Odell missed week one, maybe a really good chance. He misses week two. We'll see the way that's trending. The fact that, you know, Jarvis is doing Jarvis things, but now when you're looking for a spike or a big play, uh, you saw number 10, you know, obviously on Sunday, 86 total yards and only four touches Um, Donovan Peoples Jones, who, didn't get nearly the run, I think, or the action that we thought he was going to on Sunday, but probably is still a huge part of, of the plans of this uh, season going further. Uh, and it's it's just it's fun to see, and you're going to look like this, and, and the draft class will probably be similar to what it was in 2021, where there's going to be some guys round three, round four, where we like a little of this, we like a little of that. Uh, still a work in progress. That's okay. We don't need them right away anyway. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why, um, you know, uh, and you're with me on this day three is always so much fun uh, because you can you can throw a rock on social media and find 50 different people who've broken down the top 50, top 100 prospects mm -hmm. uh, to, in, in tremendous detail. There's so many people out there that do such great work. There's oceans of information to educate yourself on the top 100 guys but those day three guys it's a little more hit and miss you know some guys do great work on day three other guys don't and some guys some of these day three guys it's just hard to find enough film and information on it's not the fault of any of the draft guys it's just if you're not dane brugler who i'm convinced has cloned himself and lives in these prospects basements with some of the stuff that he knows i consider beast. him sitting i i could think dane sits in like like in the where the the air traffic controllers sit and <laughs> dane's got about 27 monitors and you know it's okay here uh and in comes the email in comes the tape hey dane can you watch a couple of my guys it's on on screen seven screen seven up and launched okay let's go it's amazing what that guy. If and also if you, keeping in mind that Dane now has, has two kids and currently exactly. has twin babies. Exactly. It's it's 
The beast is the best. If you want to know about the draft, and I, I, look, I do a lot of work. Jeff, you do a lot of work. We do great work at the OBR. But if you want to know about the draft, get the beast. It's the best purchase you can possibly make. And so I love to look at these, you know, fourth, fifth round guys that have top 100 talent, but maybe just get pushed out for whatever reason. So uh, last guy we'll talk about here, I know we, you know, interior offensive line and people are already making fun of me for being, you know, harping on Tyler Linderbaum from Iowa so much, but I mean, he's Dane's number one rated center. So I think I'm on the right track there guys. Um, and there's a few other guys, uh, Kenyon Green down at uh, uh, Texas A&M, tremendous interior prospect. There's, there's a bunch of them, but there's a guy not getting talked about a lot. At least I haven't seen him so far, and that's Tyler Smith down at Tulsa. Now, he's played uh, tackle most of his career, if not all of his career, at Tulsa. And he's a big dude, man, 6'5", over 330. But everybody seems to think uh, uh, that he's going to kick in at the next level. And I'm normally uh, – I hate when they try to take good college tackles and make them guards. But this is coming from people that I trust in, in the draft community, not just your random folks out there saying, kick him inside. This guy is strong. He is nasty. He's got Wyatt Teller kind of vibes. I'm not, that's not a comp. I'm not saying he's going to be Wyatt Teller. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he has a similar style in the way he approaches the game in that his power is fantastic, but he has enough athleticism and is nimble enough to get outside, lead around the corner, get to the second level, uh, but if you, I think if you asked him, and I've never talked to the young man, but I think if you asked him, his answer would be probably the same as Wyatt Teller's. What's your favorite thing about being an offensive lineman? When I can just grind my heel into some guy's face in the dirt. When I can, when I can take my guy and make him look like somebody's little brother. That's their favorite thing to do. And he has that kind of attitude and that kind of skill. Now, of course, as we've said, footwork needs to be improved. He's going to be switching inside if the projections are true. So it's it's not as easy as some people make it see. It's a whole new thing, way to look at the game uh, in, from the inside, especially if you played tackle your whole life like he has. But uh, he's got all the tools that you could want. And as, as great as this current Browns offensive line is, as we've said repeatedly, we don't know about Wyatt's contract. JC's next year is the last year of his deal, and he's north of, north of 30. And Joel is coming up on 30, and just a couple of years down the road is the end of his deal. So you need to get some guys in the system to start learning behind the great interior right now. And Tyler Smith is a guy currently rated in the fourth round that I would love to see in brown and orange next year. And if we've learned anything over this last year and going into this year is, you know, just having the strength that, of this offensive line it just makes things so much easier. And look, you see a lot of football over the weekend in the NFL, and it's not a luxury that a lot of teams have. You know, right. Cincinnati, yeah, they won. Um, but, you know, Joe, Joe Burrow's literally grabbing every part of his body because there's times where he's just getting beaten to a pulp. Yeah, they pulled out a win. But, I mean, you know, getting sacked as many times as he did, hit like he did, it's, it's the sustainability is certainly a question of that. He is Stephen Thomas, part of the OBR. Uh, check out the live show, 7 p.m. Eastern nightly um it's turning in where steve's now hosting some of this i don't know what's going on at the obr they haven't returned my emails about who signed off on this but whatever fellas <laughs> i guess kind of go nuts with it i guess um so make sure you check that out make sure you are following at brown's mock draft uh the show uh at lock on browns me personally at jeff underscore lj underscore lloyd wherever you listen to your podcast make sure you subscribe to lock on browns five star ratings written reviews uh, appreciate it again our regular format for now is you know six shows minimum per week so this way, when we finally give you a pregame show, we are hopefully getting you the most accurate information we possibly could. I mean, last week was obviously tough with not getting the Tyron Matthew news till late into Saturday. 
but we're just going to do everything we can. We appreciate you all for being here. So, hey, a little more extra work. Hey, I got no problem with that. Uh, you know, I have kids, so uh, extra work means nothing. It's just work. That's the way these things <laughs> go. This has been your daily delivery of all things to LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.